As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Allison Jones, casting director from The Office. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Office Deep Dive. I'm your host, Brian Baumgartner. Today, you are going to be hearing my interview with Allison Jones, the casting director of The Office, the the person responsible for putting together uh, the ensemble, our merry band of misfits uh, on The Office. Now, you might think after casting, her job was done. She was gone. That is that is not true. Allison was involved throughout the entire series, right? So every actor that comes on to the office, even for one episode, she was um, responsible working with the directors and the writers casting those roles. So from a guest star spot who just appears in one episode to people like Rashida Jones, Kathy Bates, Idris Elba, she works with the writers and the directors every week um, to cast these characters. So Allison has the most amazing stories to tell, N- not even just about The Office. She has worked on so many incredible shows and movies. She is truly known as the greatest comedy casting director today. Um, so enjoy Allison Jones. Squeak, I love it. Bubble and squeak, I know. 
bubble and squeak, I cook it every morning Left over from the night before Happy to see you. You don't look a second older. I don't. No. You really don't. I look younger, actually. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, I uh, have all my pilot stuff here. Oh. If, if you have anything specific, you need to research know. material. I, I love that's it. What it is. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, you're good. Are you good? I'm very well. And you? I'm, I'm good. Yeah, of course you are. I'm I'm good. Well, I don't know quite understand what's happened with the office. It's just gone haywire. Well, I know that's kind of what we're trying yeah. to figure out why. Because it's good, I guess. Yeah. I, gu <laughs> I guess. Oh, what is this? I feel like I'm in good morning Vietnam. <laughs> um, this is good, right? Yes. This is so fun. Well, the awesome thing is that um, I even kept the silly reviews. I have a a box of stuff that oh, yeah. I still haven't yeah. gone through. Yeah. It's all fun, the stuff we keep. Um, mine is just, I printed out some emails and that kind of stuff. Right. I have a message uh, in Phyllis's writing telling Greg where to meet Steve Carell at what time, at what deli. In Phyllis's writing. <laughs> That's so crazy. <laughs> I know. So. Um, 15 years ago, probably this month, we were finalizing the cast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, exactly. 2004, we filmed, yeah. We filmed in February. Yes. And we started in 2003 because that's when I had to – I just remember that was when we started everything. Right. Um, so when did you – were you aware of the British version of The Office? Yes. You were – before you were hired on, you you knew yes. that show. Okay. Yes. And did you like it? I loved it. I forget where we could see it, but it came on the scene at the same time Borat did. Okay. <laughs> and it was these two new cutting-edge comedy shows – and The Office was such a big thing because people were like, you're not going to believe the show. You're not going to believe it's an actual show and not a documentary. So, yes, I was aware of it. Okay. Yeah. But at that time, there was nothing on American television that looked like that. Not even close. You know, um, nothing that looked like it because everybody thought it was a documentary. It was so subtly shot. Right. And it was so subtly conceived of. The only close thing would have been, I guess, um, Larry Sanders. Larry Sanders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so how did you how did you come on board? Probably NBC set me up with a few other casting people to interview with Greg and Ben and Terry okay. over at their little bungalow at Universal. Sure. So I went in thrilled I got it, you know, an interview for this job. Right. And um I do remember saying to Phyllis, this is a huge deal. This could be a huge deal if I get this one. Um and it was a bunch of them at the table and um Greg was Greg. You know, yes. quiet and, you know, so you did Freaks and Geeks and we like the fact that you found real people on Freaks and, I'm imitating Greg, yes. and Freaks yeah. and Geeks. And uh, <laughs> after then again, I had to meet with Ben Silverman in his house up in Mulholland Drive or something. Yes. And I remember it was during a playoff game for the Red Sox and I was waiting out, I'm a Red Sox fan and I was waiting out in my car to see who won the game. And then I went in and realized he was also a Red Sox fan. So we were joyous. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and I probably got the job because of the Red Sox, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he talked about Paul Giamatti at the time. For Michael Scott. Yep. Okay. So that was the first name that came up. I probably had more names when I talked to Greg for the actual interview. Right. 
Um, but I remember Ben mentioning Paul Giamatti, and he may have also mentioned uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. But I, for some reason, I specifically remember him saying Paul Giamatti at, t- at the time when movie stars wouldn't touch television. Right. Wouldn't touch it. Right. Bottom of the barrel. Yeah. So you come in. So, I mean, your list of stuff that you have worked on is like crazy. Um, starting with Family Ties. Oh, the best job ever. Golden Girls. Mm-hmm. Fresh Prince. Mm-hmm. Boy Meets World. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there seemed to be like a shift with mm-hmm. Freaks and Geeks. I mean, Freaks and Geeks was kind of the first cool show I worked on and sort of non-networky show, which is probably why it failed. But definitely Judd Apatow and Paul Feig changed the whole scene. In what yeah. way? In um, the style of the comedy, the writing, the the not the sitcom rhythm, the reality rhythm, the non-beautiful people rhythm, with all due respect yes. to you, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> full respect, yes. yes. <laughs> right. But completely the first time I'd ever done anything like that. Because all the teen shows at the time, the kids had to be beautiful, 25, yeah. I had just finished a pilot called Roswell High. Okay. And every kid had to look like the kids from um, Dawson's Creek. Okay. And it was torture. And every kid had to be beautiful and blah, 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 blah. And we tested Heath Ledger, and he wasn't even cute enough to be on the show, according to the head of Fox. So all the rejects from that, I gladly brought in for Freaks and Geeks because they were so much more interesting and talented. And it was great that Paul and Judd just wanted real kids. Right. But – uh, Greg had seen Freaks and Geeks. That was the first thing he brought up. So Paul Feig, in this New Yorker piece, said that you will be recognized as having changed the face of comedy as much as any comedy filmmaker. Bless him. <laughs> what, what, what do you think he meant by that? I think just bringing in um, real people who also were talented and funny and unique. Right. Yeah, brought their own version of comedy to whatever character it was. Yeah. Plus, I did start in comedy, and it was, you know, the Family Ties and Benson, they were all sitcoms, and you needed, I instantly started to learn all the comics out there, and which meant you had to physically do the legwork and go to the comedy store 10 nights in a row and go to the improv 10 nights in a row. Um, comics not necessarily being the most together people, God bless them, but right away, hitting the ground running, I brought in all the stand-ups and stuff for you watch Golden Girls, you'll occasionally see, you know, Dom Irera serving Betty White or something. I was always bringing in stand-ups. It made sense to me. Yeah. And for me, it was based in um, SNL, Saturday Night Live, since college. Right. Appreciating that new version of comedy, the real smart and still at the same time stupid version of comedy. Right. And Second City, SCTV. So improv. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But stand-ups was what we had access to at that time. Going out and doing the yeah. research in that way. And they rarely got hired because they're, God bless them, not skilled at auditioning. You know, you'd bring in Nia, Nia Vardalos and Steve Carell, and they were usually very over the top. Not until Judd and Paul came along did they think that was actually a plus. And they were correct. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So they would have trouble because of that. Oh, I think so. Yeah. To get by studios and things. I remember, you know, bringing people in like David Spade and Rob Schneider and Jim Carrey and. Dennis Leary, and they never got hired. Adam Sandler once got hired when he was probably 20 for a show I was doing because the executive producer, Richie Rosenstock, understood that his vibe was interesting and not just being able to deliver a joke like um, a sitcom guy. Right. Yeah. 
and then that started to shift. That with I think freaks so. and geeks, I think so. In the office with Judd and Paul in particular, I think. And then at your Adam McKay's came in and um, brought in all the Will Ferrells and all that kind of thing. It, it definitely was birthed way back when and prior to when I was doing it with Judd too. I think. Right. I think that there was also kind of a change, like you said, from sort of that traditional sitcom style to more comedies with heart. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a different type of person you were looking for for that? The first sitcom stuff we did, it was mostly finding someone who literally could do it, could do sitcom joke delivery. That was the first thing I had to see. Could they read? Could they do the jokes? But um, the writing, I think, matured a little bit too. Right. Yeah. Just but single camera comedy was not around. Right. Yeah. So that was part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Not having it still to hit- took a long time to catch on. To most of us, it was pretty obvious that's the easiest to write for. You don't have to put it into a, a template of writing a joke. And that was a slow evolution. Right. Yeah. Sports night was the first good one, and it didn't even stay on the air. And it was so much funnier. Than a sitcom. Great. Yeah, I great show. I love that show. Yeah, great Did show. you work on Sports Night? I did not. But okay. I just remember thinking, wow, this is great. There's no laugh track. Blah, 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 blah. Right. So it, yeah. it, it became, that's so interesting that you were looking for someone who could do it. Just do it. Yeah. Just Which deliver, deliver the jokes. The, yep. Deliver mm-hmm. that joke so that it hit, so the laugh track could play. Mm-hmm. Right. And somebody who wasn't necessarily, um, you know, Jack Benny. Right. <laughs> somebody who... Also could act. Not that he couldn't. God bless right. him. But you know. Right. So um, Paul Rudd in the same New Yorker article said that you have the ability to find people that your heart can break for. Oh, bless him. <laughs> that's very – I didn't read the article. Okay. You believe it? Well, I'm too shy no, to read that article. No, yeah. I, I, I get you. I, I've barely watched any but of the I am very, I, I think I'm very empathic when it comes to actors and, and comedy and, and thinking – Look at that kid from McLovin. He'd be awesome. That kid has gotten beat up so much in his life. He'd be awesome. So I think, um, yes, that was a very good way to put it. Very nice. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., 
We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily, as I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So how did you go about assembling your list for the office? Well, uh, it was mostly legwork, auditioning. And well, we first had to go in with a list. Nancy Perkins was the head of casting at Universal. And we went in with a long list of men and other names to remember. And um, all the people at the time, half of them wouldn't do TV. And some of them were not people who the network would want. But um, a list of probably 35 names. And this is for just for Michael Scott or for all the roles? Kind, of, kind of the big ones. But um, those are mostly exercises. Uh, lists are really just exercises because you don't know anything until you get out there and start making offers and start reading people. But um, I I always like to cast non-star people. I think it pays off the most in the end in terms of risk-reward. Finding a unique voice? Exactly, yes. And getting the people that I know have known for years can step it up and be really interesting and really funny. Yeah. I had right. cast Rain before. I had cast Jenna before. I'd read Steve before. <laughs> I hadn't had the pleasure to cast him. But the people that we read for all these roles were groundlings and UCB people that um, just did not get a break. 
So it was really fun to put them together with terrifically beautiful, subtle writing. And everybody, that was a little, a little more well-received than some other pilots because uh, it was The Office and all those people were into The Office, the British version of The Office. Um, everybody's just assumed we'd get crucified, but we had great people come in anyway. Just happy to be doing the pilot. Right. So you made your lists. Was there anyone you didn't know at all? Uh, from the cast? Mm-hmm. I didn't know you. I didn't know um, Leslie. I didn't know um, Oscar. And I remember I had seen him in an episode of Reno 911. It was like, who's that freaking guy? He's hilarious. Right. Um, I didn't know John. I had just met him on a general. I did not know John until he read. John. Yeah. That's who I wondered. Me yeah. and John. So I've heard, and I didn't know this, right? Because I didn't test with the other thing. Mm-hmm. The testing process. Yes. The uniqueness of yes. that. Was that the first time you had ever done that? Yes. And it was it was a um, sensible choice because normally you would go in and test at a network with a bunch of studio executives and the head of the network sitting in the back of the room and you come in and you're like, okay, be funny. That was the sitcom way to do it. And it didn't matter the level of subtlety. This one, we said, look, you're not going to get what this person has to offer unless you film it and see it, what it's going to look like on screen. So Greg uh, was able to talk them into that. So we did two days of testing, two long days of mixing and matching actors and Ken directing them. And, and yes, it was the first time that it happened, I believe, at least in my experience with testing for a pilot. And um, that made sense because of the format of the show, which hadn't been done before either. Well, the documentary Did style. You, yeah, the documentary style. And I think, yes, part of the auditions was all, we had one one or two um, monologues that we let them pick from that were, all of our sides were from mostly from the pilot of the English office without being Americanized too much. So a lot of it sounded English coming out of the American actors' mouths. But I remember the gym side saying, do you like a drink? I remember thinking, we don't say that. Most of the actors said the same thing too. Do you like a drink? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. The process, do you remember it taking especially long or? It took the fall of 2003. For casting, it was very time consuming because we had to make DVDs. Sorry, um, not DVDs. We didn't have DVDs then. We had VCR. We had uh, half-inch tapes that you had to copy in real time to send to England. I remember doing that my whole Thanksgiving was making tapes, which I still have, of the Jims, of the Michael Scotts, of the Pams for Ricky Gervais. And, um, you know, you press tape and you press play, and then you had to copy them in real time. So it was more time consuming for everybody having to actually look at all the tapes after getting them FedEx overnight. Um, How much was Ricky up? You said you made tapes and sent them to London. How much was Ricky? Did they I think weigh very in? much so. On, he didn't weigh in with me. That's for sure. I've never met the guy, though I think he's a genius and his Golden Globe stuff is effing genius. Anyway, um, I never met him at all, uh, but I know he weighed in heavily with um, Greg about casting choices. They wouldn't, I'm sure if he didn't like someone, they wouldn't have gone with them. So yes, it took a little bit longer. um, And we read a lot of people and I pre-read a lot of people. Now pickings are slimmer. You know, there's so many shows out there that you start with a hundred names and 10 of them are available. Right. Then it was more, you had a little more freedom. Also, everybody is on to now hiring people from the Growlings and UCB and... So that's who they bring in first for comedy. You know, one of my shameful things was I pre-read Kristen Wiig and didn't even bring her back for Greg. I'm Kristen. I apologize. <laughs> but um, 
don't recall why, but... Um, That's funny. And then when I went back and looked at our audition, she was terrific. She was Kristen Wiig doing it, and she was terrific. She was a groundling at the time, and I didn't. I just, for some reason, didn't bring her back for Greg. I think maybe Jen, Jenna was the biggest shoe-in, I think, from the f- start of reading. She was the first woman to read Pam. I remember Terry Weinberg saying, I could watch you all day. And um, we had, you know, we tested other Pams, but I think Jenna was sort of the high bar that we set. And how much did um, the chemistry between Jenna and John then impact John? I was not in the room at the time when they were reading together, but I assume it completely impacted John because Jenna, uh, uh, John was effortless, effortless. And he had mostly just, I'd seen him in a commercial where he got his eyebrow shaved or something. And I remember a casting director, New York, Bonnie Finnegan saying, this kid, John Krasinski is effortlessly funny. You won't believe how he's funny. He just talks and he's funny. Jenna, though, lower in energy. I'm sure if you asked John that question, he would say it, it hugely impacted his performance because in his first audition he was a little more strident jenna was always very low-key interesting um what were you looking for between who we haven't talked about rain oh yeah yeah yeah. dwight and (laughs) and jim yeah Mm -hmm. were there specific things that you were looking for uh rain is so odd that would have been one yeah yeah you knew that dwight had to be odd just an oddball and a nerd and sort of annoying. And Jim had to be a little cute, a little appealing. Um, not that Rain is not. He's very appealing. But um, Rain, just a comedy genius always. Uh, he must have loved the first, I mean, he first read for Michael Scott. And I think, I think he requested that through his agent, that could he also read for Michael Scott. Or maybe I just brought him in for Michael Scott. I don't recall. Because he did read for both at the time. Um, he was the first person to read, period. But I, th- I believe we mostly thought he was going to be Dwight, and he also wanted to read for Michael Scott. He probably could have worked as Michael Scott, too. God, we read a lot of good people that in some version would have worked, you know, all these people. You know, we rejected a lot of great people for the— Right. Yeah. I remember Louis C.K. wasn't available at the time, and that was a bummer because he would have been a—he had a deal at CBS. He always had a deal at CBS. But— um of all the people I wanted to bring in. And Paul Giamatti just said no right off the bat because it was a TV show. I believe then we went to Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, the late, great Philip Seymour Hoffman, and he said no as well. Because it was TV. Um, Oh, yeah. And it's funny because that's all Paul does now, right? (laughs) And and the great thing is I started out, nothing makes me happier to see that TV is the new film. Nothing because so many people rejected all the TV I worked on for 20 years because it was TV. It was like, I don't want to do TV. And stunt casting, as they call it now, was not really a thing when I started. My boss, Judith Wiener, used to call it love boat casting when they made us put a big name in a role that made no sense. You know, Stevie Wonder's limo breaks down outside of the Huxtable's house and he he comes in. And so I started without doing that. Um, And also, for some reason, I just thought, I was supposed to find new people, and maybe that that must have come from Judith. Go out there and find new funny voices. Yeah. Um, so you like casting unknowns. Oh, yes. And essentially everybody unknown in this. Do you remember, was there pushback from the network about that? Uh, sometimes pushback from the people in the room. I remember Greg and I really liked Patton Oswalt for Michael Scott and some of the people in the room. No. <laughs> he he gave, of course, a fantastic reading and 
Patton was a stand-up at the time. Um, mostly before they got to the network, it was pushed from various people in the room. The network then was not as intrusive as they are now. They don't see every single goddamn audition before they approve who's going to test. We just told them who we're testing. We made the test option deal and showed them the tests. Right. It wasn't everybody at a certain level getting approval after approval after approval of who can even go near the sides. You know, right. that, that exi- you can tell in my <laughs> sarcasm, that exists now. Yeah. Right. How much discussion was there or were you aware of that writers were going to end up being actors? I think at the beginning, BJ came in. Greg said, there's a couple of guys I want to bring in to see if they'll work as uh, actors too. And Mindy didn't have to read as far as I know, but BJ came in. And well, BJ was hired as an actor. He was hired as an actor, but yeah. also Greg was cognizant of the fact that he was a writer as well. Greg was upfront about that right away. I didn't know Paul or anything at the time, Paul Lieberstein or... And Greg had us bring in a lot of his friends who wrote for The Simpsons, who were awesomely weird and great, who I didn't know at all. I didn't know, I didn't, it was another first time I realized writers were just as funny as actors when it came to this kind of comedy, if not more. Um, Some of those people, God bless them, were too weird for viewing. (laughs) Um, But um, he totally was upfront about having, trying to get some people who could write and now there's a little funky thing about trying to do that. Now there's unions who get fine you or something if you do that. But then right. it was fine. Um, who was the first person cast? Was it Jenna? No, I think they all came. I think we all went to the network and looked at tapes. And I think Greg, he showed them the cast he wanted. And that's who was approved. And that was cool. Kevin Riley really got it. Yes. I have to tell you. He really got it. Yeah. That's not commonly the case what did, what did kevin get he got the vibe of the office kevin riley really uh you could tell loved the the genre and the the show and he so, got it yes he did he got it right away and whoever hired greg daniels got it too who would have that been kevin ben and ben Ricky, silverman and yeah and completely Steven. yeah Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. 
But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I never thought I'd take my three young kids to Sicily to solve a century-old mystery. But that's what I'm doing in my new podcast, The Sicilian Inheritance. Join us as we travel thousands of miles on the beautiful and crazy island of Sicily. As I trace my roots back through a mystery for the ages and untangle clues within my family's origin story, which has morphed like a game of telephone through the generations. Was our family matriarch killed in a land deal gone wrong? Or was it by the Sicilian Mafia? A lover's quarrel? Or was she, as my father believed, a witch? Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So the rest of the ensemble, like Angela. Yes. Angela had had read for Pam, right? Angela read for Pam. And then Angela, I sort of knew up front that she was related to Greg somehow. So I said, I remember Phyllis and I saying this to Greg. Okay, what we think we should do is pretend we don't know she's related to you. And we'll say she's our choice. And, and she was great for that that role. I don't know if that role was based on a person in the British show. I don't think it was. Um. So we had a little plan with Greg. We're going to push for Angela because she, we know she's right, but we're going to pretend we don't know she's related to you. And then when we were in the room, Greg, for some reason, objected. And Phyllis and I were like kicking each other under the table. Jesus. But somehow, I don't know what happened there, but we got Angela. So maybe that was his um, reverse psychology or something, but we had a whole plan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Oscar Similar. Oh, so you didn't know Oscar before? I didn't know Oscar. I had seen him like the week before the session on Reno 911, and he was so good, and I was so embarrassed I didn't know him. Most everybody read for Stanley, I think. I think there were two parts, basically. Kevin and, and Stanley. Yes. The genius casting of Greg was seeing how Melora would have worked, because not necessarily a huge comedy person. That was the year when people um, 
wanted Helen Hunt or somebody like that. So um, these lovely women who could also be funny. And Did you know Melora before? Oh, yes. She was a child actor. I knew her, yeah. Okay. She was a child actress. Yes. Right. And gorgeous, too. It was like, okay, well, we'll still bring her in. Because I just think about that people have to be real and right. not necessarily high fashion models. But um, wait, is this, was this a true? Um, I remember hearing this at some point. Was there Scranton pretty or Scranton hot? Sorry, Scranton hot. Scranton hot sounds more familiar. Yes. Yeah. It's like when we did Veep, it was like they have to be Washington, D.C. attractive, not real attractive. And they had to look basically dumpy. <laughs> Ah, yes, that was definitely a thing. Scranton hot, yeah. Do you remember the casting process for Amy Adams? Oh, yes. Um, Amy Heckerling, was she the director? Mm -hmm. Amy Heckerling um, thought she looked too much like Jenna. So we didn't hire her. We hired somebody else at first. And then um, somebody else in the room wanted to go for stunt casting, and I just did not want to do that. I was the whole time... I think I was hated because I would not shut up about how it's a documentary. Suddenly, Matt Damon isn't going to show up in Scranton. So that drove me crazy. Um, was Greg on board with that? Oh, for the most part, Greg was on board with it. But as the network started getting more involved with Sweeps Week and stuff, they started saying, you have to use Ben Affleck or blah, 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 blah. And I was, everybody would say that I was always against that. I never agreed with that at all. It just, to me, it broke the DNA of the show. So we never did it much at all. Right. So until yeah. the Super Bowl episode. That pissed me off. Yes. But they cleverly thought of a little way to put Jack Black in there. He was on a YouTube thing or something. It was, um, I never normally would talk back to a studio executive, but I believe I did it on a conference call. I would never normally ever do that and say something was a bad idea because they were mentioning Brad Pitt and George Clooney. It was like, what are you? Evan, kidding me? They're going to show up in Scranton? So I was vociferous about not, not wanting that. Right. So after the pilot, your job gets much easier through that first season, second season. Yes. Yeah, there weren't mm -hmm. that many people that came no. on. Uh -uh. But I wanted to talk just a little bit about how Ed uh, right. Helms and Rashida mm -hmm. were mm -hmm. brought in. Were they brought in, was that through you or? No, I think, it, I think, I, I don't. I don't know fully. You'd have to ask Greg how Ed Helms came into the picture. It may have been through NBC. Rashida auditioned, and we had to audition many, many women for that part, and Rashida got that. Um, she's the most gorgeous woman in the world, so she had to play it down. But her chemistry with John was great. They were friends at the time, and we read many other very good women at the time. But that was audition. Ed, I think, came in through NBC and Greg, I believe. Right. That was created for him. Okay. He was freaking great. At the, I mean, Ed had just come off The Daily Show. Right. Which pretty much produced every major funny person on The Office and thereafter. Everything yeah. else, yeah. Yeah, except me. Except for Brian Bonner, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Phyllis, yeah. Um, when Steve left, thoughts? What did you think? Was the show it should done? should have ended is what I thought, yes. Totally, I thought it should have ended. Though I had always loved people like Catherine Tate, these people that Greg was aware of that could do great things on the show. I have no idea how they came up with James Spader. <laughs> so, yes, I thought the show should have ended. Right. Except for the actor's sake. I did not want it. I was like, no, we got to keep Phyllis employed. They all have to keep the jobs. Um, and I thought 
it made sense it could go on, but I just thought Steve was so great and it was seven years, it would be tough. But it also made sense that Ed was the logical choice to be bumped up, I think. Right. So some people who've come in have mm-hmm. talked about being disappointed that the network didn't trust the existing ensemble enough yes. and felt like they needed to bring in I'm sure that Spader. pissed me off too. Yeah. I would not privy to those those things about Spader. And I believe many of us thought, what do you mean you can't make it one of these guys on the show? Yes, I'm sure that was the case. Right. Where do you think the ensemble of The Office fits in television history? Good God. Okay. Right up there with Mary Tyler Moore and Lou Grant, which were genius and wonderful. Right up there, I think. And like news radio, an amazing ensemble. Seinfeld, amazing ensemble. Up there with all of them. Yeah. What do you think made it special? The people? The people and number one, the writing. Ricky Gervais. The style. Yeah. You give Ricky credit. Completely. Yeah. (laughs) That was like an atom bomb of comedy when the British office hit the scene. It was like an atom bomb of comedy. So yes, I would say Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. Right. Where I am today Mm -hmm. and my entire life is due to you agreeing to see me. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I'm sure I looked at your headshot and thought, yeah, he'd be good. He looks like a real dude. (laughs) Right. And Phyllis and everybody on the show, you know, who were unknowns. How does that make you feel? Terrific. <laughs> Makes me feel happy. And it, it, it is the reward I get in this career. And why I think why many casting people like what we do, because we get to assist people in um, getting gigs. <laughs> but it's more than that. I mean, I remember coming back and after getting the office saying to Phyllis, this could be the most important job I've ever had. And I'm not kidding. I said that to her, thinking selfishly, but having no idea it's the most important job I ever had because Phyllis' life's changed. It changed her life what's crazy to me is that you had the same reaction that i had oh my god i got the office yeah oh you had that too of course yes when i got i love that by you i i love that i remember when jenna we cast jenna i remember calling her agent at the time michael green and i got emotional because we don't get to tell the actors but we get to tell the agents and i remember saying to michael exactly this I'm calling to tell you that Jenna Fisher got the office and somehow there was silence on the phone. I was about to cry. I think Michael was about to cry. Um, but I was always happy to say, sometimes business affairs beat you to the punch and they tell the agent. I always say, please, after all this, can we at least tell the agent that they got the job? Right. Um, why do you think that, you know, so Rain and I talk and mm-hmm. and I said to him, this is, I don't know, close to a year ago now, I mm-hmm. said, I think that the show is bigger now than it was when we were on NBC on Thursday nights. Oh, and by, he said, oh, it's way bigger. By a factor bigger. of, yeah, by a factor of 100. <laughs> Why? Why do you think? I don't know. I mean, I think the real people in it, but I think everybody, everybody can relate to working in an office like that. You can insert yourself into that show very easily and, and uh, you love the actors, you love you guys, and the writing is brilliant, and it's very subtly funny. But it must there must be some comfort in the office 
See, I find comfort in Downton Abbey, so I watched that a million times. But there must be great comfort. And what I also learned recently, kids love The Office now. Yeah. Love it, kids who are 9 or 10. It wasn't a show that was made for them, really. No. Oh, God, no. And they're being probably a little more sophisticated these days, but I think there must be some measure of comfort, especially in today's world, where um, things that happened to you happened on the office, same way as in Seinfeld. Things that happened to you happened in the office, and you have a, you had a jerk in your office. And Yes. Yes. Um, I can't rewatch The Office. It makes me too sad because I had so much fun on it. It just makes me too melancholy. I cannot watch it. But then again, I can't even watch Family Ties. I feel, oh, God, that was so much fun. I can't deal with it. What I'll zoom in on is who came in for certain roles. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What does The Office mean to you? Just very proud I was able to work on it. That's what it means to me. I mean, very proud. i proud, proud, proud to say I, I oh, I worked on The Office. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Allison, thank you so thank you, Brian. freaking much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> thank you. That's all, folks. Actually, that is not all, because you are going to be hearing some more from Allison next week when we interview Phyllis Smith, a.k.a. Phyllis Lappin Vance. Allison makes a surprise appearance, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. It makes me emotional thinking about it. Uh, until then, huge thank you to Allison. Uh, for coming in and chatting with me. Allison, I know you do not love being in the spotlight, but you were amazing. And to all of you listeners, have a fantastic week. I will see you next time on The Office Deep Dive. The Office Deep Dive is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Baumgartner, alongside our executive producer, Lang Lee. Our senior producer is Tessa Kramer. Our associate producer is Emily Carr. And our assistant editor is Diego Tapia. My main man in the booth is Alec Moore. Our theme song, Bubble and Squeak, performed by my great friend Creed Bratton. And the episode was mixed by Seth Olansky. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.